covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us. Just a few weeks left in the regular season. Things continue to go pretty well for the Brewers, and uh, we've got a lot to get to over the course of the next hour or so. Our normal housekeeping items here at the front of the program. If you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast and want to leave a ranking and review, that'd be great. Also, if you subscribe to the podcast, uh, that's even better as uh, that helps our uh, numbers go up. So appreciate everybody who has already done that. And if you want to join in, I would be uh, very much appreciative. If you ever need to reach out to me, you can do so by emailing or, uh, yeah, emailing is the best way. Actually, Twitter is the best way, but I'll give you both. Email matt.pauley at wtmj.com, M-A-T-T dot P-A-U-L-E-Y at wtmj.com. And uh, Twitter, as mentioned, that's probably the best way. You can always tweet at me, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. We've got a lot to get to here uh, over the course of the next hour or so. Our featured guest this week is going to be uh, BP Milwaukee. That's Baseball Prospectus. BP Milwaukee editor uh, Nicholas Zettel. He's going to be with us in uh, just a few moments. Nick's always one of my favorite guys to uh, talk to. So uh, looking forward to uh, having him on the program in uh, just a few minutes. want to get to a couple things off the top. First off, the Brewers are playing some really, really solid baseball right now. Uh, we're coming off a Sunday afternoon where they completed a sweep of the San Francisco Giants by defeating them by a 6-3 score. It was their seventh sweep of the season. They're 20 games over 500 as we speak on Sunday night, 20 games over 500 for the first time since they finished out 2011 with a 96-66 and record. They've won nine of their last 11, they have won 14 of 19 since August 19th. Uh, they finished 6-1 and one against the Giants this year. That's tied for the club's most wins against San Francisco in a single season. They went 6-3 and three against the Giants back in 2000, so the best winning percentage in a single year. They have won six straight series. Like, I can just keep going. Uh, they're going into a series against the Cubs where they're currently sitting two games back. And the schedule gods are not being kind to the Chicago Cubs in the sense that they haven't had any off days in a while. They were scheduled for an off day coming up on Thursday. Well, then Sunday, they were unable to play their game against the Nationals, and you might say, well, that's kind of like an off day. It's not. They went through all their pregame work. They were at the ballpark. They had to travel. Yeah, they didn't play a game. I guess it's a little bit easier than a normal day, but there's there's a big, big difference between that kind of day and having a true off day. They were scheduled to have an off day on Thursday, and now they're going to end up back in Washington, D.C. for a single game against the Nationals, and then they'll have to go back to Chicago right after that. And, oh, yeah, by the way, who knows if they'll even get that game in on Thursday against the Nationals. There's a lot of craziness going on right now involving the Cubs, and now they have a three-game series hosting the Brewers, and the Brewers are just two games back, and the Brewers might have gotten to Chicago before the Cubs did Sunday night. So things are going pretty darn well right now for the Brewers. And even if they don't catch the Cubs, I still think it's going to be tough to catch the Cubs. It's not impossible. It's more likely now than it was a week ago, but it's still going to be tough. I mean, this is not something easy that we're asking of the Brewers to go win this division. But even if they don't win the division, they, they continue to be 
in really good position for the wild card as they now have a two-and-a-half game lead on the Cardinals for the top wild card, and they're three-and-a-half games clear of being out of playoff position. So three-and-a-half games clear with three weeks left. It's it's not comfortable yet, but you can see comfortable. You you can If you get your glasses on or if you get the binoculars out, you can see comfortable. It's not that far away. If they continue to win at the current pace that they're winning – uh, it's going to be they're going to be in perfectly good shape, and I, I have to chuckle a little bit. And I'm I'm not somebody I, I always I always get real careful when it sounds like I'm being maybe judgmental or, or trying to tell you how to be a fan. Everybody needs to do themselves in, in terms of how they're how they're a fan. But I do I do know this has been a really fun ride this year. I do know that the Brewers currently have the second best record in the entire National League. Only the Cubs have a better record than the Brewers right now. If you look at the ESPN playoff percentages right now, meaning the percentage chance that a team has to make it into the playoffs, the Cubs are number one in the National League at 99.8%. The Brewers are at 95.3%. They're easily second on that list. Third on that list is the NL East leading Braves, who are at 85%. So uh, about 10% differential between the Brewers and the Braves. The Brewers, uh, unless something horribly bad happens, are, are are really in good shape. I guess knock on wood, I'm, I'm not trying to jinx anything here, but I'm just I'm passing along facts. They have to continue to win games. They can't slump, but if they continue to do what they have been doing, they should be. They should be. Famous last words, right? up. You're probably yelling at your, your computer or your phone or however you're listening to this, shut up, Paulie, why are you talking about this stuff? Uh, they, they they're okay. Um, so I guess I guess the point I'm trying to make is, yeah, there were some low points of the season. In a 162 game season, there's a lot of low points and there's a lot of high points, and it's about taking everything that happens and eventually seeing what the result is. So for all the people out there who do the hashtag Fire Council, for all the people out there that uh, were just beside themselves when the team took a little bit of a dip. I said then it's going to be okay, and I'm saying now it still is okay. Let's see where we're at in three weeks. Again, no guarantee this team makes the postseason. There are other good teams in the National League. The Dodgers are a scary situation in the NL West with the Rockies, uh, and, and you know those two teams are able to, to go on respective runs. Uh, we've seen what the Cardinals have been able to do fairly recently, and you don't want even even if the Brewers make it to the wild card, you you want to see them hosting that first game. You don't want to see the Cardinals pass them by. So there's a lot of stuff that has to happen. They've got a three game series against the Cubs starting Monday. They'll have a three game series in St. Louis still. They've got series against the Pirates, and they've struggled against the Pirates for the most part this year. So I get it. It's not it's not like it's an easy road in front of them, and in no way, shape, or form am I trying to make it sound that way but it's okay and it's fun to enjoy a 162 game season even when there are ups and downs that's a big part of baseball last thing real quick before we get into our social media conversation with Nicholas Zettel and we'll we'll hit we'll touch on this a little bit with him I just really quickly because this thing has just been drug through whatever you you drag stuff through I just I don't want to talk about it anymore, but it we on this podcast we look back at the week that was and we try to hit the uh, the major talking points and obviously 
Christian Yelich sitting out a game against the Cubs was a major talking point. Let me preface this with Brewers-Cubs, Brewers chasing the Cubs for the division. That game obviously has a lot of importance. It means a lot to the fans. The Brewers fan base wants to defeat the Cubs. That's a very important game. I am not poo-pooing the importance of that game. So I understand general disappointment when Christian Yelich is not in the lineup for a game against the Cubs. I totally, 100% get it. You're a Brewers fan. You want to see the Brewers beat the Cubs, and you want to see the best lineup out there every day, and that includes Christian Yelich. I get that. I'm not running away from it. I think that's valid. But to me, that's where it should stop. And we learned a day later, a couple days later, that Craig Council believed that they were starting to flirt with injury for Christian Yelich. That his body had been run so hard, so long, that it was getting to a point where they feel felt like that they were risking injury for Christian Yelich, and that's why they gave him a day. That should be enough. That should be enough. I want to let's go down a fake road for a second, a hypothetical situation. If you're somebody that just cannot believe that Christian Yelich was in the lineup for that game, let's. Do your best. Be honest with yourself here as I take you through this hypothetical situation. Let's go to a world where they play that game. And during Craig Council's media scrum prior to the game being played, somebody asks about Christian Yelich, and Craig Council says, you know what? We have run him really hard. We feel like we're flirting right now with injury. We're going to play him one more game tonight and then we're going to give him a rest day coming up that first game against the Giants but we are concerned that we are playing around with potential injury by how much we've played him and then you play that game and going for a diving catch or trying to beat out something over at first base tears his ACL ruptures his Achilles does something really bad and he's done for the year. Can you imagine what your response would be about Craig Council at that point? Because already, if you're if you're one of those people that just thinks there's no reason, no excuse that Christian Yelich should have ever been out of the lineup when uh, when you're playing the Cubs, you probably already have a, a predisposition, a little bit of anti Craig Council. Can you just imagine how you would feel, what you would be saying? If Council prior to the game said, yeah, we're a little bit worried about injury if we play him tonight, they play him that night, and he ends up getting injured, and he's out for the rest of the season. You'd be, you'd be crucifying the guy. You absolutely would. And that's what they were worried about. So, obviously, they wanted, they had seen, they said that they felt like he was tired even before the Cubs series. And they pushed that thing about as far as they felt like they could push it before the true risk of more injury started to come around. And it finally got to a point where they felt like this could be it. This could be the game where he gets injured. He has to have a day off. And they gave him a day off in one of 162 games. Would have you rather had Christian Yelich in the lineup in a game against the Cubs? I'm not running away from that. 
I understand why you would feel that way. But for you to feel that he should have just gone out and played one more game, now we understand that the organization, the training staff, Craig Council, felt like they were risking injury at that point, even with one more game. If you think that it's worth that risk to uh, just get him in that lineup against the Cubs, I would I would say you're wrong. And I like I like uh, I'm a person that I enjoy debate. I enjoy hearing other people's viewpoints. I enjoy you know what I enjoy the most when I'm debating people. I love people who can come to me with something that I disagree with, but can even if they don't get me to jump to their side, I can at least understand how they get to that point. That's what really good debate is. It's, it's something that's lost in this country, where you can disagree with the person across from you, but each side can see where the other person's coming from. On this one, I, I'm going to have a hard time seeing the other side of it. When we're talking about Christian Yelich potentially getting injured and then being really worried what one more game would do to, uh, to his health status. I just... I can't. Uh, I can't get past that one. I think that's a. To me, that's easy. That's clear. That you got to give him a day, and it. Even if the guys who would have replaced him would have gone, zero for five with five strikeouts, I. W- I would be saying the exact same thing, as it would be. They got a couple hits out of the two spot that night between Aaron Perez and Curtis Granderson, and they felt comfortable to allow Yelich to pinch hit late in the game, and he came up with a hit as well. So Christian Yelich not being in the starting lineup still got the Brewers three hits. So they weren't they weren't missing anything, and they weren't going to win that game with Yelich in the contest. And that's really the bottom line as far as I'm concerned. It just... Uh, it just is. All right, uh, Nicholas Zettel joins us coming up in uh, just a moment or so as uh, we continue on with Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra News, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. Very happy as we go into our social media conversation to uh, welcome in once again. He is the editor over at uh, BP Milwaukee, Nicholas Zettel. Nick, it's always great to talk to you. How are you doing? Matt, I'm doing great. We had a... It's really hard not to be in a in a good mood given the the way this weekend has gone between the Brewers and the Giants. What a what a fantastic weekend! Yeah, we're talking on Sunday night, and I just it was it's fun to be talking right now because I feel like the moves that David Stearns has made, all everybody who he brought in has had kind of a big moment or had an impact on a game in a, in a major way, except Jonathan Scope until Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then he hits that grand slam, and it, it all of a sudden kind of makes, even though it's just one moment, and you don't want to judge one move on one moment, my goodness, that uh, that grand slam by Jonathan Scope on Sunday is absolutely one of the biggest things that has happened to the Brewers this season. That's such a huge, that's such a huge move right there, because when you think about in the context of what's going on with the Cubs out in D.C., and you actually got to feel for both those teams that they can't get those games off the right way. That's, I mean, I know Brewers fans are crowing about it right now, but we'd be really frustrated if our team was going through that right now. And it's to think about 
in the context of the Cubs can't get these games off and we're just gaining on them. And, and that home run just feels like such a huge moment because you're going into you're going into Wrigley Field this week now within striking distance of the division the division lead. And that's not to say that even if the Brewers do really well in Chicago, that's not to say that they're ultimately going to win it. But it's it's just it feels like we're having a different conversation about the playoffs than we would have had even two weeks ago um, with the Brewers. So and and I think. Jonathan Scope deserves all the credit in the world for persevering and through um, through coming through in that moment. That's just such a huge home run, and folks are going to remember that all all off season. That's going to be one of the best moments of the year. There was so much focus. I'm not. I, I think sometimes Brewers fans are too focused in on the Cubs for their own good. Like right, the Brewers right. are a good team. Let, let's let's watch the Brewers and not worry so much about the Cubs. So I say that to ask you a question that involves the Cubs. Uh, there's <laughs> there's been so much focus and attention from the national media recently about how great of a job the Cubs did in acquiring players at the deadlines. And I look at the Brewers, and I know it all maybe didn't make sense at the time, especially the July 31st deadline when they bring in Moustakis and Scope, but then you follow that up with what happened with Granderson and Gio Gonzalez and Xavier Cedeno, and all of a sudden you put it all in you know one big pot, and what you pull out is a is a pretty deep team that looks like uh, they're playing some of their best baseball of the year right now. Do you Now that we've kind of seen the entire body of work by David Stearns for the roster for this season, do you like the moves that have been made? I'm going to go, you know, I, I think I do, because the, the honest truth is um, I really liked a lot of the moves to begin with. I did think the the scope move was a little bit, uh, I, I went back and forth on that one a lot. I think some of the some of the August 31st ones I went back and forth on just because um, David Stearns was giving up some prospects that folks have actually heard about. And so I thought, you know, this is, this is interesting. Um, Stearns is actually, he actually paid a really solid price for talent this year. If you think about it, he actually gave up some really good prospects in order to win. And so I think you have to grapple with that now as a Brewers fan. And you, it, it's not to say, it's not to say the fact that he gave up prospects means they're bad moves. It's just you you realize we're at this point where we're trying to get every possible win for the for the short term future is actually a really important goal right now. And I think seeing the team now, it's just seeing like what Curtis Granderson did recently um, in in um, spurring some of those wins against the Cubs. Um, Seeing, seeing what Scope just did, seeing how Moustakis has played, he's been pretty good in turn, especially in the power department. It's just, it's, uh, it is really fun to see this really deep team coming together. It looks like a team that could be really resilient for the playoffs if they get there. So it's really exciting to think about all that depth uh, in a wild card game in a divisional series. It's, it's really fun to dream on this group of players. When the moves were made, it felt like the moves were being made in order to just make it into the postseason. And now as some time has gone along and the team has started to play better and you've seen them, I I think, play closer to their potential with this group of players, it almost feels like those moves weren't made just to make it in the postseason. Those moves were made to give this team a possible opportunity to go on a bit of a run in the postseason. Would you agree with that? I would absolutely agree with that. Yeah, I think, and I think 
personally, that speaks to the price that Stearns paid for these guys. I think um, I, I feel like there's a there's a somewhat controversial way you can assess playoff trades, and I think when you look at this ownership group, they're they're trying to secure revenue and they're trying to, they're trying to build the best possible franchise they can from top to bottom. And that's on the field that's off the field. And part of that is, is that we have to understand the deeper they go into the playoffs. That's a really successful thing for the organization as a whole. That's going to secure them more revenue for future, for future assets, for whatever they want to do with that. And I think, I think you can actually look at trades in that way. That's not to say they're not making the trade solely in order to get that playoff revenue. But, but when you think about they're, they're putting together trades in order to, to make a run at that, it, even making a run at the division, if they can skip the wild card game and they have a more secure chance at getting that five game series, that's a huge deal for the organization. So I don't think any of that should be underrated. That's not to say it's the sole reason because they also have, they also have a 2019 core coming together. They could have they could have Mustaka, Scope, and Soria here next year as well um, if things fall a certain way. So it's it's a really good outlook for the team any way you put it. I think uh, David Stearns has done a wonderful job putting together uh, just a really solid outlook for the club. I almost don't want to bring this up with you because the the conversation and the narrative on it this past week was frustrating, but I know talking with you will be able to talk about it at a, at a pretty high level. Uh, sure. The, the Christian Yelich sitting out a game thing took on a life of its own uh, on social media, and I could not believe it because to me it was this guy had been pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, and I understood it was a Cubs game, and I understand the importance of the fan base of Cubs games, but Craig Council basically said, we pushed this guy to a point where we were risking injury if he played even one more day in a row. He had to sit down. And people still, there's still a group of people that would not accept that answer, and it surprised me. Where, was your, where were you at during that whole narrative and the argument on social media regarding the day off for Christian Yelich? Matt, I'm really, I'm really glad you asked this, and I, and I had a feeling that you would, and I've been trying to form my thoughts on this. And the, I think stepping down from the high level of it first is, I'm going to say, um, at the gut level, I was frankly shocked. Because um, even, I, I don't know what else has been said on this, but even in the press, it sounded like Yelich was even directly confronted by people about this, and that that kind of stuns me to think that um, to think that sports fans would do that. that. And maybe I'm just naive in that regard, but I think of this as entertainment from a fan perspective. And then I think of it as a passion from writing perspective. So, but at no point would I ever think about directly criticizing a player's professional, like professional ambition or their will to win every single one of these guys is probably the most competitive person you'd ever meet if you met them in person. I, I, I think that's true from the best player on the roster down to player number 40 who comes up for a one-day call-up. All of these guys are extremely competitive people. They've probably been the best at baseball in one of their geographic areas at some point in their life. So it just it really shocked me that someone would go up to yell at and talk about a workplace thing. Uh, just because, too... I think we all know, I think we all know from working, you need days off. Like it's just, I, 
I never would get on an athlete about that sort of thing because I, I don't even want to know at this point in September what types of aches and pains they're playing through because I think that's what people don't understand is that being an elite athlete, they're playing through things that would sit most of us out. We, we'd be in the doctor's office if we had some of these things that these guys are playing through. And a lot of that stuff doesn't even go advertised. So on the, on the gut level, I was really shocked by it. Um, and I don't know if you want me to say more than that, but I, I feel like, is that your reaction? I just, I couldn't believe that I was watching it. It felt like watching a train wreck. I, I didn't ever understand the motivation of Brewers fans to put such weight on one game, especially when you have three more coming up against the Cubs now. It's just, and to also mention, we've got we've got 18 games remaining for the Brewers in general. So you can you can theoretically win the division with, you know, outside of the Cubs games too. You've got to you've got to look at the whole scope of the season and then the playoffs. So I just that's kind of where I'm at on it. I was just shocked by the whole thing. Yeah, and let me add this to you, and I said this at the beginning of the podcast today, and I I realize with a vocal minority, and if people are listening to this podcast, I bet the vast majority of people completely agree with what we're saying right now, but where I had some disappointment is I, I've been – I've been around this fan base for three years now. I was I, I got ex, I, I first got exposed to it when I was working in the minor league system, broadcasting the AAA games, and I've always thought that this was an incredible fan base. And this year, I thought maybe it even took a turn where all of a sudden Milwaukee was starting to feel kind of like a a destination location for players. Players wanted to come to Milwaukee. They wanted to play in front of these fans. They wanted to be inside of this clubhouse and this culture that Craig Council has established. Like Everything about it has become a very positive experience for players. And when you're a small market team, I think you need every advantage that you can get. If you can't match the money that the Cubs are spending, but you're a place where... A, a, a player can feel comfortable where he's going to play in front of a good crowd every night where it's not there's not going to be much negative stuff going on. I think that's really important. And I was disappointed. And again, I'm not saying this about the entire fan base. I'm going to repeat that over and over because I think it was a vocal minority. But right. I was disappointed this week that it became such a big deal and such a, a focal point. And what you just mentioned with people actually saying things to Christian Yelich, to me, this fan base is better than that. Yep. Yeah, I think you said it. I, I really don't even have anything. I, I think that's a perfect way of putting it, uh, especially when you talk about the competitive advantage. That's that's exactly right. That Milwaukee doesn't need any strikes against it. And I know... I know it would be really easy for anyone to say, well, these guys know New York is tough, L.A. is tough, all these other cities are tough. So so what's, what's the difference if Milwaukee's tough too? But I think you just laid it out exactly why, why it matters. Um, so, yeah, I think you said it perfectly. Gio Gonzalez had a really nice first appearance with the Brewers, and I'm the – I'm the first person to, to not make too much of one single appearance, and his numbers with the Nationals were his numbers, and uh, who knows, something could happen and he could revert back to that, but also his numbers before this year were, were, were there as well, so maybe he gets back into form. Would you agree that if he is able to, what I see the impact being, 
is if he is able to be the guy that he was last year, the guy that he was a couple years ago, the guy that he was uh, in his one start with the Brewers, if he can do that and the Brewers can continue to get pretty consistent starts out of Yolish Chassin and pretty consistent starts out of Wade Miley, and it's amazing we're talking about Wade Miley here in this situation, all of a sudden it makes a huge impact where if you're in that wild card game, you're not – putting yourself in a big hole because you used one of your few consistent starters in that wild card game. If you use a Gio Gonzalez, if you use a Wade Miley, if you use the Alicia Asin in that wild card game, you're able to come back with one of those other two guys over the next two days. That's For me, that's the biggest impact of this Gonzalez trade, how it could possibly impact this team, especially coming out of a wild card uh, game. Do you uh, agree or disagree? I would say that's right, and given given the overall um, given the overall scope that they had on the batting order, the the fielding and batting order trades, where they were basically saying we're trying to extend the lineup. I think they're trying to do the same thing with the pitching rotation, and if I, I've called this team team depth. For, for quite a bit, and I think that this sort of just fits with the mold of they're going to try and assemble as much talent as possible to potentially give them any advantage at any at any um, any situation or any roadblock they might um, they might run up against. And I think the the other the, the thing that's really interesting to me about Gio Gonzalez is that he he has a lot of he has a, a reasonable amount of playoff experience as well. So I think that adds another dimension there that maybe, maybe it is important with some of these younger players that in some of these developing guys, or even these like late career minor leaguers who've, who've been given good chances to play here, that having someone who's been there before too is, is I, I don't think that can be underrated in the sense of what's going on in that clubhouse with among professionals, you know? So I I think there's a few different avenues there where where Gonzalez actually really helps the team, and I I'm really hopeful that that's that's the way it kind of plays out is that you just you just have that one extra arm that maybe gets you in a better position than the person that they're replacing. Every year on September 1st or leading up to September 1st. We have the same conversation, and it's going to continue to happen unless the rules change, but there's a conversation about whether or not having the expanded rosters in September, which really does change the way the game is played, uh, whether or not that is a good thing or a, go- or a bad thing, where, you know, hypothetically, your most important games of the year, and I know every game's one of 162, but these games take on this added importance because you're so much closer to the end, all of a sudden you're doing things that you're not doing in the month of May, June, July. Do you like or do you dislike the way the expanded rosters are used in baseball? I, I love the expanded rosters. I think it's great. I wish, I wish they had more days of expanded rosters. And um, I'd be happy to go into more of the labor reasons, I believe that. But it's just, I think one of the things that's really cool about baseball is at the end of the season you have – you have this chance where there are these contenders going about things and, and they're, you know, they're trying to secure their playoff spot. So they do one set of 40 man rules. And then you have, then you have these redeveloping clubs or these rebuilding clubs where they'll, they'll get a bunch of youngsters up and give them their first, 
first shot at baseball um in in Baltimore one of the guys the Brewers traded away uh Luis Ortiz just got his first chance in the big leagues he's going to get a chance at some starts for Baltimore and that's a really huge deal I don't think we can underrate the chance like this idea that these players could have their first shot to make to make their career in September and I would reasonably ask if if someone like Luis Ortiz doesn't get that shot in September to build up some more innings, the minor league season's over, he's at 100 innings, he's got to get 20 more, what does a rebuilding club do with that, right? Like you need, is, is he just going to take someone else's roster spot or is the expanded roster actually really the vehicle, like that's the only reason he's up? And I think that's really important to, to look at the exact reason that these guys are being called up because it's, it's just really important that you give these guys every chance they can get to develop at the big league level. Um, I think we saw that in 2016 in September with the Brewers. Uh, one of the reasons I thought they were going to be good in 2017 is that all of a sudden these young guys just came on and they played really well in September of 2016. They were like a totally different team all of a sudden. And you could squint a little bit and see, okay, they've got something here. Like you, you wouldn't necessarily say, they're going to be in the playoffs right away. Although that's kind of like, that's kind of what ended up happening. They, they were contending right away in 2017, but all of a sudden in 20, in 2016, in September, you had this, this idea where you could squint at a ball club and say, okay, they're actually working on something here. They're working on a club with speed, defensive flexibility, all these other different things that were, that were assets on the club that they were working on and developing at that time. So I think, I think the 40-man roster expansion is great, and um, it, it just would really disappoint me at a time when MLB's trying to like make their brand more exciting, that they would get rid of these kind of interesting practices that make baseball what it is. Um, so that's, that's kind of my spiel for, for why I love, I love the expanded rosters. We won't go too deep into it, but you made reference at the beginning of your answer, so I just want to follow up on it a little bit. From a labor standpoint, there's guys who are going to hit their service time as September call-ups where they're going to be able to get their major league pension, and that can that can be a, a life-changing thing for some of these guys who are maybe career minor leaguers who get a call-up here, a call-up there, uh, a month here, a month there in September's over the course of their career. That stuff happens enough. You finally cross that threshold where you've got that service time needed for the pension. Right. I think that's an exact point, and I don't, you know, without getting political on it, I think it's worth stating, too, people might just not know this, but let's say let's say a fringe like organizational depth guy gets called up in September, and even if that doesn't go anywhere, there's a chance that maybe even those ten or fifteen days he's up in the roster in September, he's probably earned several times what he earned in the minor leagues that year. And so, one thing I would like to see maybe if the MLB if the MLB gets rid of expanded rosters, but they improve minor league pay, and like maybe they revise the whole minimum salary structure so that it could be more even throughout the game, then maybe I would support that. But to my mind, if, if these guys need to fight for every dollar they could potentially earn throughout a season, then having that September call up is a big deal for a lot of guys. This is, I mean, this is life changing money for them in the sense that some of these guys grind through and this is their chance to, 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 
you know, to pocket a little extra money that, that will probably change their life. Uh, as we wrap up, I had to chuckle a little bit. I know you wrote this prior to uh, to, to what happened, but uh, your most recent uh, piece over at BP Milwaukee is about player development. Actually, you touched on some of the things that we've already touched on earlier in this conversation, but I did uh, I did chuckle because the the picture on that story is of Jorge Lopez, and Jorge Lopez took a no-hitter into the ninth inning on Saturday night, and Nick, as somebody who's dealt with Jorge a little bit uh, in my time around the Brewers, he was he's he's one of my favorite people ever to deal with. He's one of the nicest guys, humble guys. Like it was just just a the guy that you you want to deal with from a professional standpoint. I think a lot of people in the media feel that way, and we're kind of rooting for him as he almost got a no hitter against Kansas City. But I guess just encourage people to read it because you uh, you go a little bit deeper on what we've already talked about a little bit. But more than anything else, it gives us a chance to talk about Jorge Lopez. How much did you enjoy yeah. seeing what he did the other night with Kansas City? That's so cool. I, I was getting um I was getting some uh some direct messages about it from uh from Kyle. Kyle over at Brew Crew Ball actually messaged me. I, I was out and about, uh I was at a wedding so I, I didn't even know that um that Lopez was pitching. And uh so so he was just like he, he sent me this message about Jorge Lopez. So I was like, Oh my god, I gotta check this out and it was so cool to see. I've watched the videos of his interview and you talk about humility, but my favorite thing of the interviews, I don't know if you had a chance to see this, but he actually said in the interview, he's like, well, I didn't have my best stuff tonight. And I just, (laughs) I give all praise to my defense. You know, my fielders behind me, they really inspired me. They played a great game and I was just trying to do the best with whatever I had. I didn't have my best stuff. And the, the interviewer was incredulous. He actually said, this wasn't your best stuff. And so I thought, I thought the whole thing was great. Uh, it really shows how he works. I, I've been a Jorge Lopez fan for such a long time. Um, I really hope he succeeds in Kansas City. I think he's a really good example of someone where maybe, maybe his role just wasn't right for Milwaukee right now. Maybe, they just, maybe this just wasn't the time to turn him into a starting pitcher here. Kansas City might have that opportunity. They've already changed some stuff with his uh, pitching approach. And if if he can succeed from that and the Brewers end up going to the playoffs with Moustakas, you just you love to see that because that to me is a win win in so many ways. And especially when you're talking about someone like Jorge Lopez, I just I'm really excited for him. I hope I hope this isn't a you know, if it's a couple starts thing, that's cool. It's still great, it's still meaningful. But if he can put this together, he's still someone who could be like a really solid organizational depth guy rotational depth guy that that could have a very valuable career so i i really hope it comes together for him and i'm glad i'm i worked in the royals organization for two years i broadcast for their low a team early on in my broadcasting career and i'll tell you what the people cool. in that organization are incredible people and I, I i love that organization and to see this happening if it's not going to happen in milwaukee uh, i'm glad that he can have some success in kansas city it's an opportunity for me to be happy for what he's doing i'll finish this off with this story because i love this story about jorge lopez and i don't know if i've ever told this story in any uh, public area but this is a good chance to do it uh, a couple years ago during the uh, the brewers on deck event that they do in the winter time at the uh, milwaukee convention center greg matzik and myself we do this long show three four hour show and we're just constantly being brought players and Craig Council and Mark Antanasio and everybody comes and, and talks to us. And we had Jorge Lopez on it a couple years ago. 
his his English is fine. I'm not trying to take a shot at his English. Uh, it's it's especially then. I think it's even better now. But especially two years ago, his English was probably better for a two three minute like post game interview as opposed to the longer form interview that we do on that show. But he still he kept going. I always appreciate guys who don't have a hundred percent mastery on the English language who are willing to go and 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 do that interview and engage. I think it I think it says a lot about them and their character. So I always appreciate that. So we get done with that interview and he did a great job and he kind of lingered for a second and then he said to me and greg he said you know after i'm done playing i think i want to get into broadcasting would i would you guys be able to like help me out if i had some questions could i come ask you guys and stuff like that at some point in time and i just thought there was here he is you know he's on a the spotlight's on him at this event it's all about the players and and people connected the brewers at this on deck event and he's getting done and he's asking us about the the broadcasting it was very interesting what we did and there there was something about that that really struck me, and I don't know if I'm passing along in this story as much as I as I wanted to. Just kind of how cool it was, but it was a it was a very humble and very nice moment from him at that time, and I'll always remember that. Sure, sure. I think I think that shows great humility in the sense that you you know I think all of these guys love baseball, but there's a certain sense where like you get this feeling that some of them really love the game where like, if he's asking questions about how do I get into this profession? How do I stay in this profession? Even after I'm done playing, it's interesting when you hear about guys who are playing that are already thinking about that. Um, So yeah, I, I think that's, that's interesting to think about him as a broadcaster, you know, thinking about that while he's playing that, that just shows maybe too how, how smart these pitchers have to be. They got to think about the game in certain ways. And I I think that would translate great to the booth in a lot of ways or or to writing or or whatever you end up doing. So yeah, that's really, that's really cool. Uh, You've got recently a couple of uh, your most recent pieces mentioned the uh, player development piece. You also wrote something about a week ago, getting into uh, the MVP candidacy and looking at uh, Christian Yelich and uh, and Lorenzo Cain for that matter, and the numbers they're putting up. Uh, Tell me what else is going on over at uh, BP Milwaukee as we get set for the final few weeks of this uh, regular season. So we're kind of on an on-again, off-again schedule right now with our, our writing crew. So last week last week was a, gonna, was a much busier week than this week is going to be. So um, we have a bunch of really good features on, um, on Lorenzo Cain, John Oksak, and the Arizona Fall League, and then uh, some really good stuff. Uh, Andrew Seltzman does a weekend recap every, uh, every week. And um, this was a really in-depth look on Gio Gonzalez and Curtis Granderson. So I highly recommend that if you're still trying to think about these transactions, you know, what, what do I think about this? How, how, you know, how are these guys going to help the team? This is one really good look at it. And uh, I'll say coming up, I know for sure, uh, one thing I've been trying to run that people have been really responsive to is a series on runs prevented, which is one way to assess pitcher pitchers and pitching success. Um, given Gio Gonzalez's first big start and Zach Davies coming back to the rotation, I'm going to try and get something like that done on uh, probably Tuesday or Wednesday. It should be done by. Um, so I hope I hope there's going to be some really good stuff on that up. But uh, but yeah, we we have a we kind of just had a real flash of like just a ton of stuff go up last week. So there's there's a lot of stuff going on that's already on the site. So I I really hope 
if people want to grapple with the transactions of the deadline, we've just had a lot of stuff on the trade. So I hope people people take a look at that. The website is bpmilwaukee.com. You can follow them on Twitter at bpmilwaukee. Their editor is uh, Nicholas Settle. Nick, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for taking the time. Right on. Thanks again, Matt. It's always a pleasure. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. This week as we go down on the farm, we're going to do something just a little bit different. You've got me for the down on the farm segment this week. Want to put a bow on a couple of the seasons. Want to get you an update on uh, what's going on with one playoff team. And also want to talk a little bit about the AAA future of the Brewers because they are going to have a new AAA affiliate coming up uh, next year. Now, last week when we did this podcast, uh, we were at a point where I believe the Timber Rattlers had just been eliminated from postseason contention and the Sky Sox, the AAA team, were at a point where they needed to win one of two on the final day of the season, which was Monday, to be able to get to the postseason. And uh, that's where we were at. Well, unfortunately for the Sky Sox, uh, they weren't able to do that. They ended the season on quite the rough note, and uh, they could not just get that one more win that they needed against Oklahoma City, and their season did end up coming to an end. was a bummer. was a bummer personally for me, and you might not worry too much about this, and I'm not trying to insert myself too much into this, but uh, my background, I spent six years as a uh, broadcaster for the Colorado Springs Sky Sox. The first five, they were a Colorado Rockies affiliate, but the final year was the first year of their Brewers affiliation. And that's a big part of what ended up getting me uh, to Milwaukee and in this position that I'm in right now. Uh, but it was great years in Colorado, and them being a AAA team had a huge impact on my life and a lot of what I have in my life, whether it's uh, my wife, my current job, a lot of it can be uh, traced back to my time in Colorado Springs. So it's, uh, it's a bummer. It's a bummer that AAA baseball is done in Colorado Springs. Now, that does present the question, and if you listen to Brewers Weekly this past week on WTMJ, and it's also available uh, via the podcast, so you might have heard it there. I'm going to repeat some of the stuff that I said uh, this past Thursday night, so just kind of bear with me because there's been a lot of conversations about what the AAA future of the Brewers will look like because there's going to be no more AAA baseball in Colorado Springs. That franchise is now moving to San Antonio. The Brewers, I do not believe, will be moving with it to San Antonio. I believe the Texas Rangers are going to leave the uh, Round Rock franchise and that the Texas Rangers are going to enter into a player development contract with uh, the San Antonio AAA team. And I believe that the Houston Astros organization is going to move out of Fresno and will move into Round Rock. There's a lot of reasons why the Ryan family uh, is uh, owners of that Round Rock team or they have ownership interest. I don't know if they're full 100% owners or not. In fact, the team, the Round Rock Express, the Express named after uh, Nolan Ryan, or the nickname, obviously. Uh, and there's not a lot of love lost right now between the Ryan family 
and the Rangers, the Ryan family kind of kicked out of the uh, Rangers organization. Now the Ryan family connected to the Astros organization. So it just makes sense that that's what's going to end up happening. The Mets are already leaving uh, Las Vegas that had been announced because the Mets opened up, or not opened up, but purchased an organization uh, over in the International League. So uh, Vegas is going to be a team that opens up. Everything that I've heard says that the uh, Oakland A's are going to leave Nashville. And already told you that Fresno is losing the Astros. So the way I see it, the way I think it's going to be most likely, you're going to have three teams in the Pacific Coast League that are going to be open for business in terms of new affiliations. The Nashville Sounds, the uh, Las Vegas, they have been the 51s. They'll be uh, named a new team next year of a new team name. And then the uh, Fresno Grizzlies. A lot of Brewers fans would love to see the Brewers back in Nashville. And we'll see whether or not that happens. That's one where uh, there were a lot of hurt feelings. And the way that the Nashville Sounds kicked the Brewers out when they built that new ballpark. The Brewers dealt with a horrible, horrible stadium situation in Nashville for years and years and years. Kind of with a understanding that once Nashville got that new ballpark, the Brewers were going to be able to take advantage of it. While they got that new ballpark, they saw the run of success that the Oakland A's organization had had uh, in Sacramento, and they said, let's go get a new organization, and they brought in Oakland. And quite honestly, the Oakland uh, relationship in Nashville, from everything I've heard, hasn't gone especially well. And they certainly have not repeated the success of Sacramento. When I was working in the Pacific Coast League, the joke in the PCL was always that Billy Bean, the uh, the A's general manager, should be the Pacific Coast League Executive of the Year because of how much success that uh, Sacramento had when Oakland was there. So I I, look, I, I know there's people uh, probably on both sides that would love to see uh, the two sides reunited where the Brewers could be back in Nashville. I just That's one of those until there are signatures on the dotted line I don't know if I can believe that it's really likely to happen because of uh, the hurt feelings previously. I'd love to see the team end up in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is going to have a brand new ballpark. So the, the, the facilities are going to be incredible. And in AAA baseball, there's a few things you look at. You look at geography, teams that are closest to your home base. That doesn't impact the Brewers at all. Because unless you're within driving distance, it really doesn't matter. And there are no AAA franchises, no AAA cities uh, really within easy driving distance of uh, the Brewers. I mean, the closest ones are you're, you're sitting there looking at places like uh, Des Moines and Omaha, and those teams are not changing out their affiliations. And, and even that, that's a long drive. That's not an easy drive to make. So that doesn't really play into it. The other two things are facilities and the ability to get in and out of the city easily. So how how many flights basically the airport has? You know, the, the, can you get anywhere? And Las Vegas checks the box better than just about anybody on on those two. Could be a brand new ballpark, so facilities are going to be fantastic. And then the Las Vegas airport, you can get just about anywhere at any time uh, with as many planes are going in and out of uh, McCarran International Airport. So that would be a good situation. I don't know if it's going to happen, but that would be a very good situation. The worst situation of the three would be Fresno. It, not a great ballpark, not a great airport. I mean, the, the ballpark's fine. I'm not trying to take a shot at it. It's just 
of the three, I think all three situations are an upgrade to what they've had in Colorado Springs, which was not a great uh, ballpark, and it dealt with altitude. Those are three really good places to be. Uh, Nashville and Las Vegas are a little bit better than Fresno. But here's something else to just think of, and now I'm, I'm talking long term. It was announced here recently that the AAA franchise in New Orleans is going to be moving to Wichita. Wichita is a great sports town. Wichita is a great sports town. I'm I'm a little bit partial to it. I went to college in Kansas at Kansas State University, so I've spent a fair amount of time in the in the city of Wichita during my life. I really like Wichita. I think it's a great city, and it, they are very good at supporting their teams. There's a reason that Wichita State basketball has been as successful as it is. There's a reason that Wichita State baseball has been as successful as it has been. Uh, the the New Orleans franchise has a player development contract with the Marlins that lasts a couple more years. So there's not going to be an option to, say, go into New Orleans this year and sit that out in New Orleans until they're able to get that new ballpark built in Wichita. But if they end up in Fresno, I think there's a pretty good chance that two years later they're in that brand-new ballpark in Wichita and geographically it's in the midwest that makes uh, sense it's a good town the only thing it kind of doesn't have going for it is the airport you don't have a ton of flights in and out of wichita uh but that's the that's the only negative on that one uh overall i think that would be a, a pretty good pretty good position to be in if they do end up in uh, wichita so that's kind of a, a breakdown of what everything looks like in terms of AAA for next year they're going to be in either Nashville, Las Vegas, or Fresno. And all we can do is uh, sit back and wait a little bit and see where it ends up. Uh, once the minor league season comes to an end, then there's a period where uh, organizations and different teams are able to talk. Speaking of that, uh, the existence of the Helena Brewers came to an end this past week as well, one of the short season clubs. And that Helena team is moving into Colorado Springs. Nothing official yet, and I'm not quite as connected to the affiliation shuffle at the short season level. But I would say all indications at this point are that that Helena Brewers franchise, which is going to be in Colorado Springs, is going to turn into a, uh, I, I would think that they're going to continue in all likelihood that affiliation with the Brewers. Don't know for sure. Nothing's been signed yet. Uh, I would just think there's a pretty good relationship between the Brewers and uh, the Elmore group that owns that uh, franchise. And that, as much as we maybe complain about the ballpark in Colorado Springs, we complain about it through the filter of it being a AAA facility. When we're talking about it being a short-season facility, that would be the gym of the league. That's about as good of a facility as you would see at that level of baseball. So it makes a lot of sense uh, for them to go ahead and uh, stay in Colorado Springs if it remains an option, and I would think that would, uh, in all likelihood, probably end up happening. Uh, the one team that is still alive in the postseason is the Biloxi Shuckers. They were able to uh, defeat Pensacola three games to one, and they are going to be uh, matched up against Jackson in the championship series. So uh, Biloxi and Jackson will play 
and that series is set to begin coming up on Tuesday. Uh, so far, so good for a lot of uh, a lot of individuals involved uh, with Biloxi from a from a hitting standpoint. Uh, and that's not a great hitting ballpark, but Keston Hira over those four games hits uh, 316, has one home run, seven RBIs, really, really good. Number of pitchers put up uh, good uh, performances as well. Cody Ponce had four scoreless innings over the course of the series. Uh, Marcos Diplon uh, had a uh, had a 1.5 ERA and six innings in that first series. So that's a that's a good Biloxi team, and certainly looking forward to what they're able to do as they go into the championship series, looking for a championship. And uh, we might know more coming up uh, when we do this podcast next week, as depending on how they go. That's a five game series. So games one, two, and let's see, games one and two. Those are scheduled to be, uh, let's see, at Jackson. And again, those games are going to be coming up on Tuesday and Wednesday. They have Thursday scheduled as an off day. And then games three and four and five, if needed, would be at Biloxi. So that's how that all is going to uh, end up working out. All right, so that is our uh, that's our down on the farm uh, portion of the podcast, and that's just about going to wrap up things for uh, this week. Again, uh, we got a it's going to be a fun week coming up for the Brewers. Uh, depending on when you're listening to this, maybe it's not as fun as I am uh, alluding to, but uh, they've got a huge three game series against the Cubs, and uh, that series begins on Monday evening, and we'll just wait and see uh, what happens over the course of those three games. But the Brewers going into Monday night's game sitting just two games back as it sits right now on Sunday night and the Cubs could make some changes there was some reports and rumblings out there that the Cubs might try to uh, change the scheduled start time on Wednesday night to a day game because they're traveling and they're playing on Thursday I would think if the Brewers could protest on that, they absolutely would. The other side of that is that game is scheduled for national TV on ESPN coming up on Wednesday night. Uh, I would think that ESPN would not be real energetic about the Cubs moving that. But sometimes the Cubs seemingly can do what the Cubs want to do. Uh, I just They might try to get that game moved off of uh, a night game on Wednesday I'm not real convinced that's going to happen. But anyways, as as we talk on Sunday night, the pitching matchup for those uh, for the series against the Cubs, uh, Wade Miley against John Lester in Game 1, Yolis Chassin against Jose Quintana in Game 2, so that's a rematch, uh, and uh, Chase Anderson against Kyle Hendricks in Game number 3. Brewers would then take Thursday off, and then they're back home for a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series against uh, Pittsburgh. That is their... Uh, that's their uh, last multi-series homestand of the year. They'll wrap up the season with a three-gamer against Detroit, but in terms of a longer homestand with multiple games, they've got a uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They play Pittsburgh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's up next week, so it's starting on September uh, 14th and moving forward. Uh, they'll play Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, and then uh, they hit the road, and then they're back for that series against Detroit, and then regular season is over, and hopefully we are talking about the playoffs at that point in time. Again, I want to say thank you to my uh, featured guest this week, uh, Nicholas Zettel from BP Milwaukee. Make sure to uh, check out uh, everything that uh, he and his staff put together at the website. They really do a great job. 
Don't forget, you can always uh, listen to the Brewers games on uh, 620 WTMJ. If you ever happen to tune in and there's a Packers game on, uh, the Brewers game has been bumped over to 94.5 FM. Uh, so you can always find them uh, there. Luckily, Sunday was a great day. Uh, in addition to the Packers having that ridiculous comeback, WTMJ was able to get both the Brewers game and the Packers game in. It's a good one they're playing at uh, different times when both are going on at the same time. All right, so that's all that being said. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week with more Brewers Extra Innings Podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.